Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and uh, this lecture will be on skeletal trauma, and there are a lot of ways for approaching skeletal trauma, and I've given many talks before, but since it's a vodcast, it's going to be somewhat unique, and what I'm going to do is take a new look at a classic application. If you look at some of the articles that have been published, here's an article from Emergency Radiology several months ago. Quality of current multi-slice volume acquisitions results in exceptional MPR and 3D imaging, precluding the need for an additional acquisition in a second plane. So things we did in the past, like uh, temporal bones, ankle, wrist, we had two views. Obviously, that doesn't exist any longer. Uh, you could see that the uh, comment in this article from Hopkins about uh, the importance of true isotropic data sets, and we've spoken about this in many talks, but it's especially true in musculoskeletal imaging, whether it's in adults or pediatric patients, whether it's in the upper extremity or lower extremity. Here's a, another, another article on the foot fractures that uh, it's critical in detecting and defining the extent of fracture or dislocation. And again, communication to the orthopedic surgeon for treatment planning, as well as communication with the patient, indeed becomes critical. So there are a number of articles that really show that although CT of trauma has been one of the classic applications, it continues to evolve, and that's no great surprise, and it's continuing to evolve with 64 slice in the emergency room setting. If you step back a second, when do you use CT for trauma, you recognize there are a number of indications. When plane films are indeterminate, that's a very classic application, or when it's uncertain, when there's a difference or discordance between physical exam and uh, the, the radiology findings are another good example where plane films are negative, for example, and there's a high clinical suspicion. We also know these days with CT being used so commonly in the ER for trauma patients, we also know at 64 slice CT, there have been articles, and I'll show you some of these, which basically say that if you scan the chest and an abdomen, you don't need to redo the spine. You simply reconstruct with thin sections targeting over the areas. So again, as part of a multi-organ examination, therefore, and in other cases where the fractures are obvious, be it plain films or physical exam, defining the true extent of fracture, allowing better patient management and triage. So again, those are all very important. Now, in the era of multi-slice CT in the ER, beginning at 16, but surely at 64, for a lot of cases now, there's been this change, this transition from plain film to CT, where both studies are done to CT only. For example, in the C-spine. Why get a plain film? If the plain film's normal and you're uncertain you're getting a, a CT, if it's abnormal you're getting a CT, why don't you save time and risk to the patient and go directly to the CT scan? In addition, particularly in this era of gunshot wounds and stab wounds, where we also worry about vascular injury, it's easier to go to a CT. You do a CT with CT angiography. You answer all of the questions in one fell swoop. In terms of looking at uh, some of the reconstructions and the quality, here's an article. This is on a 16-slice scanner. In conclusion, the multiplanar reconstructions of 3D of data sets done for abdominal uh, trauma was sufficient to exclude uh, uh, tr fractures of the lumbar spine that dedicated repeat studies were no longer necessary. So you can see the changes in um, people's thinking. Now, the best way I think that we can go about doing trauma correctly really is thinking about the protocols. What do we need to do? 
And again, one question, of course, is IV contrast. If you want to look at vessels, you need IV contrast. If you're looking for bleeding, you need IV contrast. So one thing you'll be thinking about, of course, is do I use IV contrast? And that will depend on the site of injury, potentially the type of injury, what the physical exam shows, and what the labs might show. Another important question to answer is, do you think you're going to do post-processing on the data? You think you might do a CTA, or are you surely going to do a CTA? Then you need to use thin sections, narrow collimation. If you're only looking at uh, rule-out abdominal injury, then maybe you don't need to get the really thin sections. Our practice really is to go with the thin sections routinely. There's little penalty in terms of radiation dose, and it always gives us the capabilities of going back and redoing the study. So whether it's 64 slice, where we're using 0.75 millimeters, thick sections with a 0.6 millimeter collimator, or 16 slice, 0.75 millimeter thick sections, 0.75 millimeter collimator, and in both situations, we're reconstructing at 0.5 millimeter intervals, and then doing post-processing. When we think about doing CT angiography as part of a trauma study, then of course questions are injection rate. Well, typically you're doing, you know, four cc's maybe, but volumes, what's the scan delay? Is it a single, a double acquisition? Where do we inject? And here are some typical parameters. Four cc's a second, 100 to 120 cc's of contrast, using Omnipeg 350, though Visipeg 320 will work well in patients with borderline function. Scan delay is variable. If you're looking for the lower extremities, it's going to be in that 50-second, 55-second range. And if you're looking at the upper extremity or upper thigh, then you have less delays in the 25 to 30-second range. If you're thinking about possibly a venous injury, you may want to get delayed scans after the arterial phase. And again, injection is usually antecubital. When we do CTA, of course, we're doing post-processing, focusing on the 3D map, particularly volume rendering. And there have been a number of really good cases uh, looking at that process. Now, of course, we'll also use the multiplanar and the 3D to look at the bony structures. And we showed you this reference before talking about multiplanar and 3D for looking at fractures. Um, we commented also previously about some of the important aspects of getting around the need for other, 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 uh, other studies. Now, there was other issues that we've spoken about in the past. Uh, we commented about isotropic data sets, and again, we commented in terms of uh, the uh, issue of small body parts like wrists and hands and feet. You really need to be with that isotropic data. There's no doubt about it, but again, I mentioned before, I like to be with isotropic data all the time. With bone imaging, we can use different algorithms or reconstruction kernels. Uh, again, the high-res algorithm will give you very good bony detail, standard algorithm, very good soft tissue detail. The problem with the bony algorithm sometimes is the 3Ds are very noisy, tremendous artifacts. So you want to be careful. You may want to reconstruct with both algorithms to get the 3D from the soft and some of the high detail bone uh, off the high-res algorithm. It's easy enough to do. It's something to recognize. And I'll just show you an example to make the point. Here's an image of the pelvis. It looks like you're in a snowstorm. Well, that's a kernel on the R scanner of 80, but if you go to a kernel of 40, which is more of a soft kernel, the images look perfect. So understand specifically what you're doing because 
You might think you did a bad study, but it's simply the post-processing kernel that is an issue. Just change the kernel. If you get a new scanner, do a couple studies and reconstruct it multiple kernels till you know the one you like best. Beyond the kernels, of course, with reconstruction of bone, you can make bone transparent or opaque. And so here's an example of a dislocation of the elbow. Nicely shown, this is volume rendering with what I would call transparency. You see the cortex, you see the trabeculations, and you can go from that display to a more opaque display. And you can see very nicely how opaque the bone is on the right. That's very, very critical. So some people like the more opaque uh, visualization better. I tend to like the transparency. It gives more information, but I don't think it really matters. And the fact is you can always do both. No problem. I mentioned some of the clinical applications and let's touch on them and make some critical points. I'll start with acetabular and pelvic trauma. Example of patient who had fallen, clinical suspicion high, plain films indeterminate. There's your fracture through the neck of the femur, nicely shown in 2D and 3D. Or this case with a uh, impacted fracture of the femur, again, easy to see on the coronal reconstructions was not easy to see on the plain film, or this example of a subtle posterior lip fracture, very obvious on CT, extremely difficult on plain film to recognize this. With the more uh, extensive injuries like this case, markedly comminuted fracture of the patient's um, right acetabulum, big hematoma, there's disruption in the weight-bearing surface, nothing subtle, but what you're doing here is determining the extent of injury to determine the surgical approach. Anterior approach versus posterior approach. Do you operate now or do you wait a bit? Here's the example of the 3D. Look how the femur is impacted, the medial wall of the acetabulum is displaced. There's associated hematoma present, nicely shown. You also see nicely the diastasis of the right sacroiliac joint. Again, with 3D, unique perspectives, another patient Comminute fracture of the acetabulum. You can see the fracture line extending up into the iliac wing very nicely. You can see the force of disruption. With this example, not quite as bad a fracture. Iliac wing, you can see it here. And here's the 3D mapping of that fracture. You can see in this case, we actually removed the femur to get a better look at the acetabulum. One of the things we can do with musculoskeletal imaging, of course, is do post-processing. So in that iliac wing fracture, we use the computer to separate the pieces of bone. It pulled the femur out, and now I'm able to look at the bone without the femur in there. Look simply at the acetabulum, and here's two more visualizations of that same process. It's very, very easy to do, and I'll show it to you simply on the coronal. Here we have this posterior lip fracture. Here it is nicely shown again, posterior lip. A dome of acetabulum. Here's a coronal display of the fracture. We take away the femur, and there we're left with a femur without the acetabulum. When you're looking at acetabular fractures, the surgeon does like that view. They can look in the acetabulum to find the extent of the fractures and fracture lines to the cup and really ascertain specifically what the approach should be and what screws should be placed. It just Here's one more visualization. I commented before in trauma in general, but especially in pelvic trauma, the worse the injury, the more helpful 3D. So here's a patient with a posterior fracture 
this location on the left and you can see very nicely exactly where the femur is sitting and that the femur is way posterior it's been pushed posterior took out both parts of the posterior column uh, very nicely shown in that example and here it is again you can see the femur is really impacted on part of that posterior column so that'll need to be reduced as well as reducing the displacement of the posterior acetabular components you really can see it nicely on this perspective and you can see very well here again the same type of uh, visualization if you take that same patient and you go down to the 3d map here it is with the disarticulation views so again you can see how many processes we can do it takes only a few seconds but create tremendous visualizations another example posterior dislocation I'll just show you a couple images here it is again posterior displacement 2d going to 3d going to again 3d it's posterior you see the posterior lip displaced you can see superior posterior displacement of the femoral head which is again nicely shown when you look at the sagittal perspectives as well so there's really very very nice visual display now there's so much information Dr. Harris who's written so much on trauma and has taught us so much makes the point about new classifications and I won't go through this in detail, but they described a new classification for acetabular fractures based solely on the uh, CT appearance. And again, uh, it's something that's not yet adapted widely, but it's something that again shows the thought processes that go on. Now in terms of pelvic injuries, one of the things we also want to look at is some of the secondary injuries. That indeed becomes very important, and uh, one of the things we'll talk about is the secondary injuries, specifically uh, soft tissue hematomas and bladder injuries. And we'll speak about that. I think we'll do that when we get back together next time. So with that, I wish you a good day and Godspeed.